You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 20. Off-Road Warriors. From the travel log of Raven, Sixel Creek Mine, Missouri, June 4th, 1883. As the sun rose and I sat looking out through the iron gates towards the plains beyond, a line of stagecoaches began to encroach. These were unlike any kind I had seen with my own eyes. They were reinforced, armored, some up on oversized wheels, and all were bristling with aggressive decoration. Nothing was uniform save for the manifestly apparent expulsion of normality. I saw a buggy, fletched with feathers and flanked by intricate wings of wicker. One blue landau, decked all over with axe blades. A long coach, pulled by palominos and lined with barbed javelins. And from every vehicle leaned men. Painted red crosses ran from their foreheads down their bare torsos to descend below their waistlines. They gripped tomahawks and bows. Looped lassos hung from their hips. Their hair dangled lank, or else was styled into fierce, aggressive shapes. As they drew closer, I could make out their weapons. Some could have been stolen from people like my own, but many were manifestly crafted from scratch, or repurposed from tools, engraven effigy of tribal armaments, cruelly augmented with jagged scrap. On a hulking carriage, covered in hanging furs and festooned in leather tassels which blew in the morning breeze, an enormous man with a carved wooden bear mask, severed talons adorning the straps around his arms and legs, and he gripped an immense thick narwhal's tusk like a war club. He was flanked on either side by two fiery green lanterns which formed the eyes of this great wheeled beast of the wild. At the head of the procession rolled a mountainous bone-white battle wagon, smoke emanating from inside. It was drawn by nine white stallions, arranged three by three, and standing atop the middle steed, holding the reins in his grasp, was a lithe, sinewy figure, hung about with black strips of cloth and shaggy sable manes, adorning his boots, arms, and shoulders. Tattoos ran the length of his body, curling around his limbs like creeping vines. Atop his head, obscuring his face, was a horse's skull. My blood ran cold as the horns of this wagon blared out balefully, echoing through the gap in the mountains and into our hideout. A rider out in front, cloaked and bearing a lance with a crucifix on the end, his head enshrouded in a 14th century plague doctor's mask and a top hat, caught sight of me and bellowed. Open up the gates! For the Lord of the Brimstone has arrived! I ran across to Steamheart, finding Arlington absent, but Pines asleep in his bunk. Wake up, dammit! What? We're under siege. I had no more time, and rushed into the administration building and up the stairs. Gray, Oakley, Arlington, and Butler were asleep in the hall. Penrose was still awake beside Chorley, who looked up at me sharply in the midst of another contraction of this interminable labor. Men at the gates! Too many to fight. Get everyone into the machine. The five remaining mine staff were frantically awoken and hurried through the open hatch to find a place to pray. Jorley's Korean aide rushed up to assist her in the descent of the stairs. Arlington brought the steam craft around and shielded the front of the building from view. I regarded over my shoulder the amassed army at the gate and spotted telescopes being used to see in. They would know in moments, if they didn't already, 
that the cut-out wooden army we had was not going to save us. We crammed into Steamheart and found places to sit as Penrose, Gray, and Jay Hune lay jorily in the largest fold-out bed. To her credit, she was holding back the panic that must have been coursing through her and giving last-minute orders for securing this place. I glanced at Oakley, and she shook her head. Help won't be coming. We're not dying here like rats in a trap. That's like my one rule. Jorley started to protest, but was once again seized with physical tension. Sparks, bring us up to the gate. We slowly drew forwards. Arlington warned. If I rush that thing, we could be seriously damaged. After that, we might not be able to pick up enough speed to escape them. Get me on the loudspeaker. Oakley ordered. I'll talk to them. No, you won't. Your temper is a liability. Gray looked about to object, but nodded and stayed silent. Oakley grabbed the receiver and shouted into it. Morning, gentlemen. What can we do for you today? The plague doctor moved his horse up to the gate. You can open wide. Each and every one of you. We are coming in today. This is Captain Annie Oakley of the reunified states government. And you'd better have some mighty powerful smelling salts in that crow's bill of yours. Because if our people find out one hair... One little hair on the head of one of these good, hard-working people was harmed. They will rain down upon you with the force of the Almighty himself. And you're going to need bringing back from the dead. So why don't you just turn around now? Tell yourselves the truth. That even if you had won this battle this day, you would have lost. And go lose yourselves out there in the wild before we have to come find you. The leader with the horse skull bristled and reached out his hand. Plague Doctor passed him the loud hailer, and he bellowed in a voice that clawed its way through our minds. Threats of emptiness. Idle, crass words from the slaves of systems long past their usefulness. You have nothing in your power to frighten the Southern Cross. We defy death himself. We wear him. We walk with him. We love him. You will open wide and accept us gratefully. Or we shall tear you open and feast upon what is inside. Great caterwauling scream rang out across the land. Fists thrust into the air as one, weapons clutched and ready. You have but one final moment. Make your choice. Ah, fuck. Oakley breathed. She turned and looked at us all. If I open the gate, said Jay Hune in a low voice, you can escape in this thing. Arlington nodded slowly. Yeah, but we'll be going fast, sir. Th- there won't be enough time for you to jump back on. The man held a hand to Chorley's cheek. I understand. Butler opened the hatch. Hune adjusted his hat, walked out into the open, 
approached the gate and began to undo the locks. The Southern Cross whipped their horses and gnashed their teeth. Arlington began her reverse, drawing back into the mine yard. As soon as the last lock was undone, the horse-bound raiders at the front of the line broke forward and pushed the iron railings back. Plague Doctor rode past Hume, tilting his mask to regard the man, but not attacking yet. You see? Tis not a day for uffish weeping. Tis a day for frabduous jubilation. For we are merciful. Now come out of your wagon and pay homage to his lordship. Arlington gunned the engine. Brace yourselves. And with a great jolt, we sprang forward, thundering through their ranks. Horses were flung aside, screaming. Spear points thudded against the hull and glanced off the stone spring plating. Jay Hune grabbed the plague doctor by the leg and yanked him bodily from his horse in defiance. Arrows launched in chaotic retaliation dug deep into the flesh of both men. But only one of them squealed like a pig. We emerged into the dawn light as a great cry rose up and the raiders readjusted their attack to swarm us. Steamheart broke through and pushed towards the road as they wheeled around in hot pursuit. Suddenly the zinc mine wasn't what they wanted anymore. It was our mechanical miracle. Behind us the twin crags drew away. Before us was forty miles of uneven green scrubland as the blue sky sang overhead. To begin with, we made it out in front. This thing at top speed was faster than any horse. Then Chorley's screams echoed around the inside as we bucked and tumbled over rocky ground. Keep her steady, the doctor shouted. The smoothest route. Behind, the morass of the Southern Cross had gathered momentum and were now looking to outpace us. The single horse riders were fastest, sweeping alongside and flinging knives and bottles at the glowing cables attached to the rear carriage. Get them off us! Arlington cried as Oakley and Butler rushed to the sniping panels and thrust the barrels of their Winchesters through on either side. Riders fell as the two crack shots did their work. Great. Pines. Bring us more ammo. Oakley ordered. The pair obliged as the long wagon drew abreast. The men hid behind a wooden balustrade and flung javelins over the top with frightening accuracy, one of which pierced the panel Butler was aiming through. Oakley switched sides to stand with him as Gray grabbed a hammer and knocked the sharp point away. Harry, ram the front end. Oakley cried, and obligingly our pilot turned the wheel and crashed into the front right corner of the coach, the heavy-angled cowcatcher flipping it vertically to come smashing to a halt in the road, pulping the frenzied cultists clinging to it. James... I cried out to Pines. Take these clean linens and drape them over that exposed hot pipe in the rear section. The dripping one? Yes, it's just water passing through there. I need the steam to condense in the linen. It will be sterile. That's what we want. Then when they're soaked, bring them back fast. He shot off. As the chaos ensued, Tabitha gripped both of my hands, and we breathed together. Have you... (sighs) delivered many... (sighs) babies before? My mentor, Dr. Potts, delivered several over the years at Weirwood, which I assisted with. You are my first alone. But we're going to do this right. A sling-launched shower of stones clattered against the side of the vehicle, just inches away, through the armor. In a short while, there will be another little person in the world. And that's what we need, Tabitha. 
That's how we're going to live on. You did the right thing. She was crying out now, feeling absolutely everything at once. I'm scared. We will protect the both of you to our last breath. I assured her as sweat streamed down both our foreheads. This will not be the end. The Landau, covered in axe blades, drew in on our right side. And as I leapt across to snipe the driver, I saw with horror that they were lassoing us, fastening the loose ends on their side, binding the two vehicles together. Abigail yelled out to our pilot, Harry! I know. They're jumping onto us. I know. Do something. Aw, hell. Everybody, hold on. Real hard to the person next to you. Sparks jammed the wheel counterclockwise, shoved down on the brake pedal, and the whirl launched sideways. Steamheart's rear section careered out and slammed into the axe landau, shattering its wheels. The impact sending everybody on our roof flying, engulfed in splitters and jagged metal. A few men hung onto the lasso somehow, and I glimpsed them, crawling back up our sides as we left the fallen cart behind. In the meantime, the shaggy bear carriage with its flaming green lamp eyes had taken advantage of our loss of speed and it was hurtling in on our left flank. The great giant atop it brandishing that enormous tusk. Welcome to your door. I fired straight at his head, but we were now dragging pieces of debris on ropes along with us and the shaking was sending my shots wild. A southern cross warrior leapt forth, sailed through the air and collided with the front windshield of steam. There was a smash as his tomahawk blade broke through the toughened glass inches from Harry's face. She cried out in fright and pulled her goggles down as he screeched at her from outside, pounding his head against us. They're tearing my baby apart! That's when Abigail popped the hatch, leaned out, and point-blank shot the man directly in his elbow, which shattered and sent him spiraling away, his weapon still buried in our cockpit. Gray, what the hell are you doing? Gotta see about a bear. (sighs) And gripping a stray lasso still attached to us, Abigail leapt from Steamheart and onto the adjacent bear carriage. Oh, Jesus Christ, sweet Mary. This was it. She was gonna die. I rushed to the open hatch and knelt to steady myself, taking aim at the bear's heart. Gray got in the way as the two of them attacked each other. Impressive! I twisted up inside at what was on my plate. If I shot her right now to save the endowment, it would pass to the nearest living person, the bear and I might not be able to kill him before he was upon us. Abigail ducked and wove around his savage blows, got caught in the mouth by his knee, and spat blood at his mask, catching his eye under there and causing him to reel back. I suddenly had to focus on all the other horsemen closing in on the bear coach, all aiming spears at her. She's mine! The mask tightened roared above the noise of the engine and hooves. Abigail fainted left and drew his club down to one side, Dodging nimbly as she swung in, her fist collided with his gonads at 80 miles per hour. The bear screamed in agony as his tenders were liquefied, and Abigail yanked down the loose ends of the lasso, wrapping it around his leg before kicking away the carriage driver and grabbing the reins. The bear was snared and wrenched into midair as I cut the rope and sent him crashing into the dirt. The 
feathered buggy with wings of wicker shot in from the left. Three archers stood primed, zeroing in on Gray. Butler! I cried. Got the rest of that honey bourbon? I'm shooting guys on horseback right now. He called back from inside. Abigail couldn't jump away from the bear carriage because it meant putting her head up in the arrow sight of that feathered monstrosity. I hid behind the silent hatch, looking for an opening. In half a moment, Raven was beside me, pressing a full bottle of whiskey into my hand. You owe me a drink. He then tore a strip from his shirt and shoved it into the open neck, soaking the cotton and lighting it against his clenched cigarette. Gray, spotting this, had drawn up alongside. I tossed her the bottle and then snatched out my pistol, slinging five bullets towards the buggy. The archers took cover and lost focus on Abigail for a crucial second as Gray spun and launched the bottle. I let my last bullet fly as it hung in the air, showering the wings of the buggy in orange flame. As they veered away, and Abigail roared in triumph, yes! pulling herself onto Steamheart and up onto the roof. Gray, get in here right now. There's one left, she hollered back. My heart sank as I beheld the bone wagon bearing down on us. Smoke billowed out of it as cross-adorned fanatics hanging out from the sides reached in and through the windows and retrieved black sparking sticks of dynamite to fling our way, erupting into violent cloudbursts. At the head, the Lord of Brimstone flailed his whip as the horses screamed and champed, insane with fury. Abigail looked down at me from the roof, steadying herself on a railing. You can get this one. She held out her gloved hand. I grasped it and felt the world spin sideways dizzyingly as she hauled me outwards and upwards and the sound fell away. I got a flash of my target. I considered whether the rifle bullet would penetrate the horse's skull. And then I landed in a crouch in front of Abigail. One shot. One chance. took out the guy behind Brimstone, just lighting a stick of dynamite. Bullet went right through his ear and into his brain. The man tumbled away. The dynamite fell inside the great wagon, right into what I could only assume was several crates of the stuff. When the wagon blew, Brimstone was flung forwards in a graceful arc as the world turned to ash around him and he was swallowed up in an almighty hurricane of bone. James. Tabitha pushed and strained as I cradled the infant's head in my hands, guiding it out as the loudest explosion we had ever witnessed detonated behind us. She roared a release as one shoulder came through, and then another, and the tiny thing slithered out into my arms. A healthy baby boy. As the placenta followed, Pines assisted me in cutting the umbilical cord, and we bundled up the newest crew member and handed him to Tabitha. Annie and Abigail came back through the hatch. They're all gone. Slow down, Harry. The captain called, and we obligingly drew back to a gentler speed. Annie railed on Abigail and punched her in the armoured shoulder, instantly regretting it and shaking her bruised knuckles. God damn it, 
I do? You know exactly what you did. I survived. We all did. Abigail's eyes were already on Tabitha and the new baby. As I cleaned the viscera from my hands, my old companion and I exchanged a look of shared gratitude. And we watched Tabitha clasp this tiny life to her, shaking with relief. Well done, James. Frank said, his arm around my shoulders. My endowment may be of no use, but it would appear my abilities as a doctor can still make a small difference. For the moment, that is going to have to be enough for me. been listening to episode 20 of Steamheart, Off-Road Warriors, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Annie Oakley and Harriet Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. James Penrose, Raven, Major Domo, The Lord of Brimstone, and The Bear, performed by Alex Shaw. Tabitha Chorley, performed by Maureen Foley. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Jeremy Pines, performed by Matt Wardle. Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb, and Jay Hune, performed by Paul Hikari. Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. Off-Road Warrior, composed especially for Steamheart and performed by Gil Haim Steinberg. Flare, composed and performed by Ross Bugden. Interloper, Fireflies and Stardust, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Benjamin Biddle, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm. Clearly, this whole escapade here was inspired by George Miller's Mad Max movies, especially Fury Road. And while I came up with Steamheart as a concept before that fourth film was released, the idea of doing something like this with her was always on my mind. It frankly felt like a waste of a great sci-fi Wild West premise to not do so. In the end, this was the most complicated piece of audio I have ever put together. It took more revisions and required more elements in exactly the right place than any of the 157 episodes of New Century that I've put out to date. So I have the utmost respect for Miller, for his astonishing vision and direction, and equal respect for his wife, who edited all those elements into such an amazing film. Margaret Sixel. <laughs>